ready for war. Never back down. Give me some more. We came for the title. Killing the game. Welcome into the episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Hope everybody is doing well with the holidays, and hopefully good old Santa Claus was, was good to you and, and brought you everything you wanted. But this week we have, a, we have a great guest on the podcast. We have my good friend, Jordan Stampler. Jordan is um, a phenomenal coach. I've, I've, heard, I've talked to him several times. Like I said, he's a good friend of mine. I've, I've heard him speak, and he's, he's very, very good at, at what he does. He's the Director of Player Development at Campbell University. And even though he, his title is Director of Player Development, he, I mean, he's honestly like a, a Swiss Army knife. I mean, he, he is so good at so many different areas of the game, and from hitting to defense to base running, I mean, everything. He is an, a very good college baseball coach, and he'll, he'll definitely show that in this episode because he's great at speaking, he's great at talking about you know what they do at Campbell, and and he also gets into you know, what makes Campbell special because that, I mean that's a program that I've been following for years now, and and not everybody knows exactly where it's at in the country or anything like that, but every year it seems that they're they're top twenty, top twenty five in the country, and, and last year they were they were top fifteen in the country for for a significant amount of time, so they're doing a really good job down there. Jordan's a great guy. He's coached at you know the D two level, the D three level. He was a, a head coach at the D three level for a little bit, so he has a lot of experience in a short amount of time because he's still pretty young. And um, I, I just I always enjoy talking with him. I always enjoy listening to him because you know he's he's he works hard, man. I mean that's that's the the maybe the, the best way I could put. It. He works really hard to be the best he can and and to help out um, the players he's working with. So hope you enjoy this one. Per usual, if you have not already, I don't know why, but if you have not, please head over to iTunes. If, if that's where you listen, leave a five-star rating, write a short review, Spotify, five-star rating as well. That's what's going to help this show continue to grow so we can reach more and more listeners because that's just how the algorithm works. So appreciate you for listening, and I know you're going to enjoy this episode with Jordan Stampler. This is the future. This is my time. I grind and shine. I put in the work and push the line. I'm holding my crown. I never back down. All right, we now welcome onto the podcast Jordan Stampler, Director of Player Development at Campbell. Jordan, thanks for coming on today. Appreciate you having me, Patrick. I, uh, you know, frequently listen to the podcast, and I'm excited. Uh, was excited that you asked me to come on, and excited to to break it down with you, man. Yeah, this would be a lot of fun. I got I got some good stuff for you. I think one of the one of the, the, I think the things that you do really well is I think you're just, you're really well organized. I know you're on top of a lot of the technology stuff, but you have a good filter of, of what works, what doesn't work in a team setting. Like for coaches out there who are interested maybe in implementing technology within their program, like A, do you think they should? And B, like, what are some of the things that, that you did to help systematize that in a team setting? Yeah. Um, so first off, uh, I'll, I'll give you some background about myself that would help maybe some coaches who don't have the opportunity to um, have resources and things like that. <laughs> that came from um, played in a junior college uh, system where, you know, this is kind of like pre tech stuff. Went to a division one when that stuff started coming uh, coming about. We didn't really have a lot of it at our fingertips. Um, I've coached at the D3 level, um, the D2 level and the D1 level really didn't have the opportunity to dive into a lot of 
technology, data, analytics, any of that stuff until I got to Campbell, which I'm now my fourth year at. Um, so prior to that, my experience with it, um, you know, TrackMan, Baseball Cloud, uh, True Media, any of that stuff was very, very limited. Um, and so having the opportunity to come over to Campbell and kind of grow and branch out in, in that regard, I think was huge for me. Um, since I've had the opportunity to work with it and seeing players kind of be able to tick up at a quicker pace than you might normally see in some player development with, with, you know, the use of any number of different things, right. Whether it's, you know, looking at ball flight data or looking at pitch metrics, or just like putting them in environments to succeed based on some of the stuff that you might know, um, I think is the advantage. I would tell coaches like young coaches, old coaches, whoever, I know they're, uh, I think we're kind of out of those weeds now, PJ, right? Like where it's like <laughs> the old versus new. Yeah. Um, I think people by and large are starting to see the value in it in some regard, right? I'm not telling you that it's a full send on, you know, all data driven stuff, but I'm also telling you that the people who once probably believed that there's no value in it are starting to kind of turn that page a little bit, right? Um, it, it's a measurement and we've talked about this at a little more length, but they're all just measurements. And that's what I, you know, call metrics or just measurements. And I think, um, the game of baseball has never been af afraid of measurements, right? Whether it's a 60 time or a pitching velocity, um, you know, we throw the ball from 60 feet, six inches, we run 90 feet. Um, there's measurements all throughout really any sport, but, you know, in baseball for sure, um, specifically to our sport, like we measure a lot of what we do. Um, and I I've used this analogy with you before. If, if all things were equal, um, player A throws 90 miles an hour, player B throws 80 miles an hour and everything else is same, same, right? This is a complete hypothetical, but the breaking ball is the same. The height's the same. The projectability is the same. The arm action's the same. Everything else is the exact same. Which one would you take? And, you know, I would venture to say that hundred percent of baseball people are probably going to say the person who throws 90. Um, again, everything else is the same. I know that's a hypothetical, um, but that's that's the way I kind of started to look at data. They're they're just measurables, man. And I've never really been afraid of them. At times, I've certainly been overwhelmed um, because of how much can be poured on you at once and how much information can be thrown uh, right into your face. But I've never I've never really been afraid of it. I've always just tried to dive in and soak in uh, what I can. Um, learning some of that stuff, I, you know, it's it's give and take with different players, um, different coaching staff members. It's there's certainly some give and take. And I think my job is to kind of be a um, guardrail in a sense for what our players want and don't want, what our co coaches want and don't want, and trying to just align those two together to give us optimal success, I think. Um, whether that's in the team environment or the individual environment, environment I think um, giving guys options, giving them different ways to read things, giving them different ways to implement things uh, and then, and then picking and choosing what works for them, I think has been a key to success. Um, if you're focusing on ball flight stuff, you know, they, they may not need to know their quote unquote launch angle, every single swing. Um, I, I, you know, it's worked for some guys, other guys, you know, we just give them an extrinsic goal of hit it over the L screen. Other guys, we tell them hit it off the center field wall. Um, you know, different things work for different guys. Um, so finding different options for guys to put them in a position to succeed and have that language be similar from, you know, the coaching staff as a whole, I think is super important. So 
Um, there's there's a million different things that we've done in terms of guy to guy or or team environments. Um, but I've never been afraid of measurements. I think they're super important to use in our game. Um, and I think it's helped us kind of be able to develop guys at a more rapid rate than than we once were able to. Is there any anything common that you hear from maybe the coaches at Campbell or the players of, of the things that they want versus don't want? I know you said like there's some stuff they want, some stuff they don't want. Is, is there anything that you hear on a frequent basis like, man, like nobody wants this X, Y, Z? Yeah, that's tough. I don't know that there's like one common thing. I, I would say that there is always a point of too much for almost every player. Um, I think it's important to try. So I'll peel it back for you a little bit. Like what we try and do is basically we have our areas of like main emphasis on the hitting side of things. Um, we we put our guys into basically four different buckets, right? And And from there, they each have like a primary – uh, what we call deficiency, you know, secondary, tertiary deficiencies. Um, and we try to evaluate what we think will be the most bang for our buck or, or you know, the lowest hanging fruit within those deficiencies. Um, and then we try to basically train them in environments and give them tools and implements that will help, help train those deficiencies. And with that, um, so, so we use a lot of tech and data to figure out those deficiencies, right? And then we track it by continuing to use the tech and data. But with that, we we will only give them really as much as they want, right? So as long as we're putting them in environments that are conducive for them to tick upward and we can measure it to see if they're ticking upward, um, then we know it's right, you know? Um, there are certain guys who want to read every single swing on blast that want to print out uh, from baseball cloud after every time they hit on the field um, and, and use the track man. And there are other guys that don't want to see it at all and know, you know, hey, that was a good day, a good beat uh, of, of BP. You know, I felt like I flushed every ball and I felt, you know, my swing was good and, you know, it felt it felt better. Right. And so that's that's kind of the pick and choose. I think our coaches, it's important for our coaches to just kind of understand all of the not all of, but a majority of the the data and what it means. Um, and then so when, you know, me or Coach Hare or Coach Wise or somebody is working in a cage with somebody on um, their attack angle you know, we're going to work with them specifically on this type of machine and they might swing this type of bat because they're working on this type of path, uh, if that makes sense. So there's some guys we definitely, and we don't, you know, the whole thing of like tricking guys into it isn't really a thing. Like our goal, our job um, is to make players better, right? We want to make them better to make our team better to win games. Um, that's no secret. So I, I think a lot of that has to do with the culture and the buy-in from the guys and just understanding that, Hey, like, we're going to push you out of your comfort zone a little bit. Some things that you, that you're going to do might be a little bit different. Um, but they're only going to be to benefit you. And trust me, man, like not everything we do the first time around is like gold, right? Like we try things with guys and like, man, I hate this drill or like, dude, this feels terrible. So we just back off it and try to try to find a different way that feels better for them. Um, but we're still working towards the same thing. And, and I think that's the collaborative piece that, we try to bring, it's not just like, Hey, it's my way or it's coach Harris way or it's coach wise's way. Like they have to be invested just as much in their own success for them to start to see those gains. And, and I think when we build it like that, um, it gives them an opportunity to buy in and be invested in, in what they're actually doing. It's kind of like a three headed monster in a sense, uh, attacking it with the players. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. Cause I've heard these like war stories of pro ball guys that are like, Hey, we're just going to make you do this. And they're like, mm. I don't, you know, I don't even know where to begin. So I don't, my idea of player development, I think is, is probably a little, it's a little bit more molded, I would say, in just terms of, you know, us having a, a general plan, you know, making sure it's kind of um, turnkey more or less for the player. And then we kind of give them options to, you know, sort of like a buffet or a menu that they can pick, pick and choose from to say like, Hey, you know what, this is, this is the one I like. These are the two that I like, and I'm really going to stick to those. And we, and we got to be cool with that. Right. Because we're giving those, giving them those options. And now they can kind of um, start to build their, their plan with their own buy-in because just like anything, man, like if they're not invested in it, like how, how, you know, how bought in are they really going to be when we're telling them to to swing with a short bat on a on a hack, blowing them up at the bottom of the zone or whatever the case may be, um, they have to be they have to be as invested as us. Like we could have the best plan in the world, um, but if it ain't executed well, then we ain't probably we probably not going to get very far. It's the same thing with the lineup, right? Like we could draw it up and think like, man, this lineup's going to score fifteen a game, but the guy's got to produce, right? And so it's it's the same in my mind. It's the same kind of system that we've used um, for some of the um player development stuff i know you're you're always up to date and always looking on the on the internet social media and just always looking for for new ways to help out um the guys you're working with is there anything that you've started to do in the past you know maybe this this fall or even past you know this past year really from um, a development standpoint that maybe in years prior you didn't do i know like for example you had mentioned like the short bat there and that like, mixing that with like a, a hack attack or whatever is there anything that you've seen really help players that maybe like a high school coach or somebody else could kind of take and and help out their guys yeah um i i think to answer that at our level to answer directly at our level might be a little bit different mm. than the high school level um we focus a lot on pitch shapes and velocity Right at the high school level, like I don't know how much you would really want to entertain that, at least in a team environment. Um, maybe with some some more advanced guys, maybe um, you know I, I understand that at the high school level, like you're usually coaching the players that are in your school. At our level, we're recruiting the players that we like and have tools and assets that we like, and then we could build off of. Um, not to say you can't build off off you know players' potential in high school, but we focus a lot on pitch shapes and because we're facing a lot of guys who can do some different things with the ball at our level. And I, and I would imagine that's even um, more so at the pro level. So um, something we got on recently, and I wouldn't say not to do this. I just think it might be more sparingly at the high school level. I would say um, we've got the smash balls from driveline that create different like shapes and flights. Um, and we feed those in the hack attack. Like honestly, I would say every day. Um, and then we also got um this summer we bought some of the, they're called like heater pro balls, I believe is what they're called. Um, pretty similar, pretty similar ball to the smash ball. Uh, I feel like they might be a little bit truer. They carry a little more consistently. Um, and I think the breaks on them might be a little bit more severe when we start to set up like breaking balls and sliders and things like that. Um, so just seeing like, you know, bigger, sharper pitch shapes, those balls have really helped us. Um, and what we've started to do, you know, as our guys start to get a feel for what these balls can do um, and and, you know, how they have to start attacking them is start to give our guys different tools and implements um, and, and pair those two up. So, for example, if guys struggle at the bottom of the zone or 
I should say, if guys struggle to kind of climb their swing, they struggle with like attacking the ball uphill. Um, we would, we would, you know, more frequently want to shoot them something like down angled. So a breaking ball or, a, or even a fastball machine that's like moving downhill and, and probably give them like a short bat um, to make them feel, um, you know, they have to move in this position with their body or their posture to be able to get under that plane to match the plane of that pitch. Um, we've done stuff like that, you know, as far as contact quality stuff with, you know, with, with those light flight type balls or, um, or even like PVC or those uh, thunder stick bats, um, something with just a finer tuned barrel. So they have to be uh, more consistently on the barrel. Um, so again, like if we can classify our guys and we could say like, Hey, this guy really struggles with contact quality or he needs more bat speed. Um, you know, we try to recruit guys with bat speed, but by and large, like there's never really a point of bat speed. Where we're like, Whoa, that's too much bat speed. So that usually is like the first, the first go after for us, like, Hey, does he have enough bat speed? Um, from there, we, we look at contact quality, swing direction, um, attack angle, a bunch of different things. And then we just try to try to bucket them, um, usually like four or five different groups, um, something like that. And then, and then we start to play with those balls and flight of those balls and the different implements and tools that we give them um, in order to, you know, quote unquote, clean their swing up. Right. Uh, so that that's, you know, I would say investing in some of those, I think we bought five dozen of those heater pro balls. Um, they lasted a soft fall. I don't think we had one break. We could shoot them out of a mini or a big hack. Um, I would not recommend throwing them because uh, I think it could, you know, for you to try to create some of the speed and, and change the direction that, that a machine might would probably do some damage to your arm, I would imagine. But yeah, we feed them out of the hacks all the time. Awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm sure some guys will definitely, uh, definitely check that out. Um, you'd mentioned, you know, a big emphasis more than, um, you know, a lot of maybe like mechanical stuff and things like that for high school coaches. And, but what you guys more so focus on is, is pitch shapes. And I don't know if you, um, listened to when we had, you know, Michael Kadair on, but it's pretty interesting because he had said that he, ne he didn't, he never wanted to look for a shape. Like he was, he wanted just was looking for speeds, not shapes. He felt like it would mess him up because if he got the pitch, then it would freeze him if he was looking for the shape versus just reacting. And so I guess I'm, I'm curious as to how you go about uh, implementing like that, like philosophy to your players, like in terms of the shapes, game planning, all that stuff. I know it's complicated and I know it's, it is a little bit individualized, obviously, but I'm just curious as to hear like what your, what your thoughts are on it. Yeah. Um, so when I say shapes, I mean like ride fastballs, sinkers, uh, downer breaking balls, and then more of like a sweeper breaking ball. So those are like, you know, the four main shapes that I say. And then obviously we can expand on that however much we get. And I wouldn't say like in game, uh, we don't, in fact, we don't say like we're sitting on this shape. We, we usually have, you know, an early or fastball rhythm and then like a late rhythm. So to Kadir's point, uh, it is, it is probably the same, but understanding. So for us I, to, to kind of go into that question a little bit, understanding where these pitches have to start for them to be good for us to hit. That's the piece that's usually different for almost every guy. Um, guys who struggle at the top probably need to see the pitch down a little bit more. Guys who struggle at the bottom need to see the pitch up a little bit more. Um, and for us, like it, you know, there's value in it with understanding maybe the lineup construction that day, 
or who's our first option off the bench that day or or who might be a good uh, a good you know a good guy to slide up or down in the lineup based on the starter that we're seeing um and when we talk about shapes like we usually pair those with metrics and and I talked a little bit about this at CTD this year um how our guys have now start start to understand like hey this is 20 inches a ride because 20 inches a ride feels different to probably every single guy in your lineup it might feel like you know this is impossible to cover for one guy and the next guy might feel like dude that's a cookie right so every guy that's kind of different and if i could just say like yo pj this guy this guy it feels like 20 inches a ride to me then now the guy on deck can say like dude okay 20 inches like i got that in the bag or like i really need to make an adjustment to cover that but by you know anything else the same like it feels like it's you know that's a little cutter it feels like it's um, it's moving away from me probably negative one or negative four or negative six. Like our guys have started to be able to to see those um, numbers on our video board and training every day and then pair them with the live stuff when they see it in real time when we don't have the metrics. And they could say it feels like blank ride, blank run, blank sweep, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, so, yeah, I would say like training shapes just to understand what it is and then where it has to start. So when we go into a game or a series or whatever, and we're saying like, hey, this guy's a sinker, this guy's a sinker guy, um, this guy's a ride guy, you know, whatever. And we could give them a metrics based on some of the data that we've pulled during the scouting report stuff. So like, hey, he's going to, you know, he's going to ride it up to 24 inches, but he carries it on average at about 19. So you're going to say, okay, like, I'm probably going to try to cover about 22, 23. And then each guy has, has an idea of what that feels like. Um, to take into gameplay with them. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I, I love that because really, especially just because of vision, right? And how it, everyone interprets that differently. Yep. In terms, of, If I just went back and said like, hey, this guy's got a lot of ride. Well, you know, to me, that may be different, as you said, to maybe from me to you. But if I say it's 20, 20 inches, well, I mean, that's, you know, objective information. And so we maybe we do perceive that differently, but I know how that is going to relate to me specifically. So I like yeah. that common language. Uh, and, and it's, you know, in gameplay, it's super difficult to know exactly what it is. You know, sure. you get a report after the game and you see it and you're like, yeah, you know, we were right. Um, but with how advanced some of the scouting information is, like we can go on True Media and see how uh, how a guy's riding it or how he's sinking it or how much depth or sweep his breaking ball is going to have. Um, and then try and put our guys in the best position to be able to, to handle those effectively. So one one of the things that I'll do from time to time is I'll go to a different different colleges and just kind of just go and just hang out and watch practice and you get a you know you get a good vibe you get an energy of of what it's like on a typical typical practice day in the fall and it's different for a lot of different programs and there's no necessarily right or wrong way. Um, what what would you say like the type of energy or what would you say like it's it's like a typical day in the fall like if someone were to come watch is it pretty laid back is it pretty intense like what's what's a typical fall day like from an energy standpoint at Campbell? Yeah, um, PJ man, in our program, like if you're juice if you're juiceless, you're useless, man. If you, <laughs> if, if you don't have guys that are and I, and I mean that like we don't have a bunch of like hoorah guys and just like yelling at the top of their lungs, but like they our our players come to Campbell because they 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 want to they want to win baseball games and i think they've um they've proven that the last few years and you know a majority of coach Harris time here um it, it's a really fun place to play and i think it's cuz our 
you know, our staff kind of shows up with the same consistent energy every day, but our players bring it, man. And so if you were to show up to practice, it's, you know, it's dudes flying around, you know, it's usually a pretty, you know, structured schedule and we're usually on time. Um, but there's dudes like flying around all practice, two, three hours, whatever the case may be. Um, inner squads are, there's usually some crap talking coming out of both dugouts and it's pretty fun. Um, but I, you know, I think that that only helps them when we get into tougher environments, um, you know, and in, into the spring and stuff. So I, I would say it's just a bunch of guys who, who are going to, they're going to, they're going to go out there. They're going to compete. They're going to play hard. They're going to fly around. And, and when it's time to scrimmage or, or compete in really any environment, there's going to be some, some crap, some crap talk and some trash talk and, and um, to try to pull the best out of guys. And, and honestly, what you see with that is some dudes sink and some dudes swim. Right. And I think that that helps us as much as any um, as any part of our training or anything uh, get, get the the best guys um, to the front, you know, whether that's the rotation or the lineup or on the field or whatever the case may be. Um, Cause you see that, what is it? Like people say it's 15% better or 15% worse um, with some pressure or something like that. So I think you see some of that when there is constant, um, you know, just constant will to be great within our program, whether that's BP taking ground balls on the clock, you know, anything. I think we're always trying to compete and I think driving that competitive nature home promotes like really good energy at practice and helps us evaluate guys like how, how they handle some of the pressure. If you're juiceless, you're useless. Oh, yeah. I love that. I'm going to steal that. I like that. Um, I, I, know, I stole like, it from somebody else. So. Oh, did you? Well, that's all right. I'll give you, I'll give you the credit. I'll give you the credit. Um, I know, you know, you said a couple of times that, you know, you're, you're recruiting like certain types of players and you had mentioned bat speed, you mentioned other stuff, but I was just, just kind of want to go deeper as to like, who you're looking for when you're out recruiting. Cause I feel like the best coaches, like they know exactly the type of player, maybe even body type or that they're looking for. Like, is there a pretty elaborate system you have or not even necessarily written down, but just types of players that, that, you know, you're out looking for. Cause the reason why I say this too, is because I, mean, I know you guys, you know, last year, one of the, you know, geez, top 15 programs, pretty much the entire season in the nation. And it's not like, you know, if I went to somebody down the street, where's Campbell at, they, they would have no idea. But yet every year you guys are one of the best programs in the country. So, I'm, I mean, I'm just curious as to how you go about doing that in terms of on the recruiting side. Yeah, um, that it's funny. That that question was actually on Jeopardy the other day. I don't know if you saw that clip. <laughs> I, I, I did. That. I Googled, uh, like to get ready for this podcast, I Googled Campbell University before I typed in baseball. And the first thing on Google is, is someone else asked the question, where is Campbell University? <laughs> yeah, it was on Jeopardy, and and none of the contestants got it right. Um, <laughs> but that's part of our mo, man. Uh, you know, at least in our program, is nobody's from nowhere, and and you know we've kind of our guys have kind of latched onto that. They they probably have been um, you know under recruited or something like that, and we see something in them that we could we could pull the best out of them, and then they come to Bowie's Creek to to develop without distraction. Um, it ain't you know big city bright lights and again, like we want guys who want to be good at baseball, want to get a world-class education, want to compete for and win championships. And I think, you know, they see that when they come on a visit to, to Bowie's Creek and, you know, there ain't, there ain't a whole lot of nightlife or, you know, anything like that. It's, you know, you can truly come, come to our place and really focus on seeing how good of a ball player you can be. Um, we try to find athletes, man, to answer your question. Like I, I think the better athlete, that we could find the, the, the more projection there is and the better, um, the better we could kind of mold that help mold that, that guy's career. Um, 
but I, you know, it, it depends on needs more than anything. I, you know, there's not some, we we're not doing anything. I would say like drastically different than much other programs. Like if we lose some bangers, we're probably going to go try to find guys who have a little bit more juice. Um, if we lose dudes who could really run, we're probably going to go find guys who could run a little bit better um, in a perfect world. They're all, you know, um, said Mullins and, and Zach Nettos over the world. Right. Uh, you know, they have they have the juice to hit, you know, 10 home runs and and they have the ability to steal 20 bags. So, you know, in a perfect world, like that's kind of what we're after. We call them ballers, like guys who can drive, drive the ball in uh, in the gaps over outfielders heads and over the fence. And and then guys who also have the opportunity to steal bases because um, we feel like in our system, we definitely help amplify all that. But it, it's it's a complete um, offensive package. It's not. uh pressure just as far as guys standing in the box we pressure on the base pass until we score uh through the plate so we want to find guys who are you know as tooled out and athletic uh, as athletic as possible and then when we get the, when we get those types of players we feel like we have a really good chance to kind of mold them into the uh um, the premier players that we that we have in the country type of thing my next question is is a little bit different different um going a little bit different direction similar but different direction um You've, you've been a head coach now. You've been a head coach. You've been, you know, an assistant coach. You're now, you know, director of player development. You've had a lot of different roles in college baseball at, at different levels. And I'm curious as to, like, if if today, knowing what all everything you know know now and learned under Coach Hare and everybody else, if you were to become, um, let's just say, hypothetically, a head coach somewhere, what's the very first thing you do? Um probably try not to get fired in, in the, in the opening <laughs> presser. Um, that would be number one. No, I, I think the first thing um, it has to start from within, I think you have to, you know, part of the reason uh, and coach Hare talks about this all the time, but part of the reason that we've had some success here is because we've had really good people um, in our program. And I think it starts with the people in your program to build it the right way. Um, people who are loyal, people who are hardworking, um, and people who just want to be great, I think is really the answer. And, and I don't mean that just as far as like our coaching staff, we have this year, we have three student managers. Um, we have an academic coordinator. We have a full-time athletic trainer. We have a full-time strength conditioning guy. Um, a few dudes who work with me and player de- on the player development side and, the, you know, the full coaching staff. Um, and it's really all of them, you know, as I would say is the answer. And we've had, you know, as far as I've been here working with guys, um, who who I'm sure people who listen to your podcast have heard of, but Tyler Shoemaker, who's moved on to Vanderbilt, and Tyler Robinson, who's at Liberty, and Joey Holcomb, who's at South Carolina. Um, you know, Alec Olson, who's who's now uh, in a paid position out of Cal Baptist, and Adam Wise, who's back with us, but was a recruiting guy at Lipscomb. Um, so we've just had, you know, we've had a lot of opportunity to for these guys to 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 move on and whatnot. And I think, you know, those guys being part of our culture and and here with with me have helped me learn and grow so much um but every single one of them has these traits that are just like you know they're they're so easy to identify they're they're all super loyal people um you know they're going to tell you how it is they're going to be honest with you they're going to be upfront with you they're super hard working like there there ain't many days pj where you show up to our office and there's just like one guy there you know it's it's there's going to be like six seven eight nine guys there all the time ready to work whether that's hitting in the cage or break down a scouting report on on our next opponent um 
you know, and, and I mean, they're like eight, eight 30 in the morning, um, till, you know, 7 PM. So, you know, our guys are, are, you know, they're going to be sought after and taken care of by our coaches, um, you know, or our managers or, our, or our extended staff, um, in any way, shape or form. And I think when you have that, uh, set up and structure, it allows the, the players, um, you know, in the clubhouse and stuff to see how much it means to, to you guys. And so they want to do everything they can and pour it in each and every day. Um, and then be there for each other, you know, and, and I think that's probably where it starts. So if I was to be in that position, I would, I would try to hire the best possible assistants that I can, um, you know, to basically, to basically run the day to day and things like that. Cause I think without, you know, assistance and good um, support staff, like there's so many more pieces that go into it than, than just the head coach. And I think everybody understands that. So um, yeah, that's probably where I would start with it. I would say. You mentioned loyal a few times there. When you say loyal, how, does that mean to you, like just not leaving at the first chance? Like how, how do you go about describing what that, what loyal means? Yeah, I, it's just, it's everything. I think being open and honest, like, because, um, you know, there's, there's obviously other programs in the country that can pay, you know, whether it's player development staff or assistant coaches, they could pay them more and there's going to be more lucrative options um, for them year to year. And, and when you have success, those guys are sought after um, for sure. And I think I, it's, it's not just that it's just the day to day of them, you know, showing up and, and you go see a guy on the road that, um, you know, we're, we're going to try to bring on campus and this is the whole write up about him. And, and, maybe you're not, you know, telling some of that stuff to your buddies or something like that, mm. um, that you're going to, that you're going to pour it in for your guys. And that's going to be your first and primary focus. Um, I, I think there's so many different, there's so many different uses to that word, but you know, all in all, it's just like, you're here, you're present, you're, you're, you're with Campbell now and you're going to do everything you can to help them. Um, obviously all of our futures are, are kind of unwritten and, and we can take it, um, you know, any, any which way we want to, there's guys who are in baseball, who get out of it. There's guys who, who move in, who move to different directions, different levels and things like that. Um, and so I don't mean loyalty just in terms of like, well, I'm, I'm here with you now. So I'm going to work for you or something like that. And then they're looking to jump ship. I think that's definitely a piece of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I think the whole package really is just guys who say they want to be here are truly invested when they're here um, in every facet of, of what we're trying to do. What's the best part about the uh, Campbell, like the area area around it? Um, that, that there's not, uh, there's not a ton of like distractions. I think, you know, I've kind of alluded to that. Like we, there's enough to do, you know, it's not, like I said, like crazy, crazy nightlife, but there's a couple sports bars and restaurants. There's a, there, you know, there's a bowling alley, there's a drive shack just, just down the road. Uh, like a top golf type of thing. Um, and there's some other things, you know, in the area that are cool. There's some state parks and things like that. Um, but it's, it's definitely country, man. It's definitely a little more remote. Um, I, you know, I'm from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, man. And I grew up in a city. I don't even know how many people live there now, but 10 million people, let's say in, in, you know, the Broward County area. And, um, you know, it's just a, a completely different lifestyle. And, you know, getting from, I live, you know, three miles from campus and it takes me eight minutes to get into work or whatever, where that same three miles in Fort Lauderdale might take 20 minutes. I, I think the relaxed pace of, you know, just being able to know like, Hey, I'm going to leave now and get there now. And, um, 
you know, if I want to go shop at the Walmart down the road, it's, it's going to take me 10 minutes and it's not going to be completely packed and so on and so forth. Like I, I've enjoyed that lifestyle and change in my life. I, I think, again, it's part of the reason our guys um, think this is a, a kind of a second home to them. It's definitely a different style, but um, it draws them in. And I think what draws them in initially is definitely, uh, you know, the baseball culture and, and, you know, the guys in the clubhouse and the coaches that we have here. But then outside of that, I think, um, they learn to love it, man. And they learn to love to be with each other and hang out with, with each other, you know, off the field, whether that's at bonfires at one of their houses or, you know, just around campus or at the facility. What are some of the things that you see on the recruiting side, like maybe some mistakes that you see like the players make, or maybe even just coaches make too. Uh, I mean, travel coaches or whoever, like, is there anything that any advice you could give to to those out there listening that you think would, would benefit them based on your experience on the recruiting side yeah yeah um with players i think it's super important you know when a coach is showing you whether it's a little love or or you know all the love in the world right um just be as open and, and communicative with them as possible right like they they can't possibly know your schedule as well as your as as well as you know your own schedule um if a game gets canceled because of rain or hell the other, the other team didn't show up or something like that, just communicate that with them and let them know. I think that's, that's super important and can go a long way. Um, you know, we've had multiple instances where, you know, we didn't, we expected to see a guy play and then we couldn't because of rain. And then there's just no communication. Um, be, not, not that it's the recruits fault or whatever, just, there's changes in the schedule that we we would like to know as quickly as we can. And a lot of times those players have information prior um, prior to, you know, the website updating or whatever. And, and we would obviously like to see those guys play. So just being able to communicate with that, uh, with the coach as quickly as possible um, so we can continue to set our schedule for whatever events or, or you know, thing we're at. I think that's important. Uh, one of my pet peeves, man, as a um, travel ball, travel ball coaches is when you show up to a field and it's two things, right? The number one thing is they, they give you like, Hey, you know, who's the best player you guys got? You, you got a down game or whatever. You're not really following a guy who's, who's your, you know, who's your guys. You kind of give them that question and they run down like eight dudes on their roster. <laughs> and I, there's a few travel teams out there that, you know, they, they got littered talent throughout the, <laughs> throughout the roster, but by and large, like, you know, that's that's probably not the case and you know most of the time like we're, we're going to be on one or two guys from a team um and it just goes back to honesty man like I think if the travel coaches or high school coaches are just open and honest with you you know the the reciprocating question should usually be something like well what are you guys looking for and then if I said well we're looking for guys who we think can play the left the left side of the infield then now they could start to refine that answer but if they come out of the gun blazing with like Oh, we got the center fielder and the left fielder and the guy hitting three hole. And, you know, you should check out our catcher too. Then I, I think that just loses a little bit of credibility with me, like off the bat. And it's going to be hard. Like if I do have a, you know, a down slot to watch a game or something, it's it's probably going to turn me away more times than it's going to draw me in. Um, because I know the likelihood of that now holding any weight is, is slimmer. Um, you know, we're, again, we're typically looking for the best player or players on the field. And the likelihood that they have seven of them is is not extremely high. Um, on the other side of that, you know, if if I introduce myself to a coach or whatever that, you know, we we don't have a relationship and he's like, hey, where are you at? And I say Campbell, um, you know, they'll usually follow up with like, is that is that D1, which is fine. Like, that's cool. 
Um, but then if they think they have a player that's too good, they'll say like, oh, well, this guy's too good for you, you know? And, and I, cause we've gotten that a few times and I'm like, got it. Okay. Um, great. You know, now we lose credibility the other way. Um, and then you find out that the guy goes somewhere, you know, that might be in our league or like a very similar comp or something. Um, because we get into recruiting battles all the time with the, you know, power five schools and things like that. And I think a lot of guys don't really understand that. Um, you know, the, the scope of it, right. It's like, like you said, like we were top 15 nationally for majority of the year. We've been in the top 25 the last few years, um, pretty regularly. And, and, you know, it, like it starts to warrant some of that credit of like, man, these are players that we need to be on and need to need to recruit, not to say that we're going to get any or all of them, right. Or all or any of them. Uh, but to be in the mix in the conversation, um, I, I do think is warranted at this point with where we're at and the trajectory that we're on. Um, to continue to try and go after the better players, you know, in the country. Um, so it definitely works on both sides. I would say those are probably my my two pet peeves, but it definitely, you know, both ends of the spectrum, right? Yeah, I would say you're you're definitely one of the few coaches that I've talked to because I know when we were in Florida together, like you you said like you just you loved like you love recruiting. You know what I mean? You love the going out there and like trying to get a kid and get him on campus and and that kind of took me back a little bit because I don't hear that type of excitement and energy from a, a lot of coaches when it comes to recruiting. I think a lot of times it's just like, oh, man, like it's just they just don't want to do it. Um, so I, I think it's awesome that you, you have that mindset that you love doing it and, and that's passionate you know, for you. But with everything you know about the changes that have gone going on right now in the NCAA with the transfer portal and and, you know, guys coming and going and junior college. Would you say that the guy who would have been a Division One player, like let's just say mid-major D1 player five, seven years ago, should and is that fringe guy should probably go to a JUCO now? Like, how would you advise? I know it's it's you know almost impossible to do to to make one one um, one side of it like argument just because you don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. You don't. You know, it's not like we're talking about a specific player, but. Um, I'm just, I'm just kind of curious as to what your thoughts are on, on all of that. Cause you're way more closer to it than I am. Yeah. It's, it's so individualized. Right. And I, and I think <clears throat> maybe more now than ever, I think what we need to press upon, you know, high school kids is, is the right fit. Um, not the first offer, maybe not the best money offer, just the best fit overall, I think is is what's most important, right? Like having an understanding probably first geographically, is this a place that, um, sorry, someone just popped up on my computer. What is going on here? Sorry about that. You're good. Uh, I think first probably geographically, like is this a place that I could see myself going to, to go to school? Um, and then aligning that with the school, right? Is this a place that I could, you know, take classes at? Is this a place that has my major? Is this a place that I can get into and, and can graduate from? And and this is this a place that I want a degree from? Um, you know, I and then you can kind of go off into, you know, the the million different branches that is the baseball world, right? Like is this the right culture for me? Is this the right fit for me? Um, from a from a player standpoint, from a development standpoint, what are the things that you value as a player? Are, are, is this program going to help me? Um, is this program going to help me benefit from all those things, right? And chances are you're probably not going to check every single box, but to actually have you know boxes to check, I think is important. 
And then when you find the right fit, and there might be two or three or four of them, but it's probably not going to be 130 of them. And I think that's kind of, you know, going back to my high school time, I was like, man, I just want an offer. And like, man, I, you know, there's plenty of places in the country that I think I would have traveled to, but there's plenty of places that I don't think I would have traveled to. Um, And I don't know that I understood all that in its entirety, the way I do now. Um, So, yeah, I I think just finding the right fit. um, Is it a place that, you know, do I want to get on the field first? Is, Is this a division one school that I probably don't have a chance to play early on looking at some of their track record. Do they carry 60 or 70 guys in the fall? Is it going to be, you know, a a real chance for me to, to get on the field and show them what I can do in the fall, or are they just recruiting me um, to potentially cut me at the end of the fall? Um, Because those things happen. And I I think there's, um, you know, there's no, there's no hidden secrets with that kind of stuff. This day and age, uh, you know, it's all on the internet and you can go read almost any forum to figure out any of that stuff. And, you know, I, I, again, just finding the right fit, you know, from the co- from the from the geographical area to the program, to the school, to the coaching staff, to the other guys, to the types of kids that they have and try and check off as many boxes as you could. And if that's at a junior college, if that's at a D3, if that's at a D2, if that's at, you know, the college down the road or 3000 miles away across the country, I think I think that's that's really the best way to go about it. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody goes into college still to this day. Um, I don't want to say anybody, but I, I think very few kids go into college thinking like, you know what, I'm going to go here for a year and then transfer like that. That usually is not the kid's mindset, right? Like they're being recruited again, whether it's by a junior college, NAI school, a D1 school, like they're being recruited and, and they're feeling loved. And they're, you know, there's a period of time where they're like more or less infatuated with that school and that program. Um, and so to think that they go into that with the mindset of saying like, yep, I'm just going to go here for a year or a semester, or, you know, a year and a half and then bang it and go somewhere else. Like, I don't think that's the case by and large still, um, even with transfer portal and NIL and all that stuff. I think kids, they make a commitment to go to a school, um, because that's where they want to go, you know? And I, and I think that a lot of that, <laughs> can or has the opportunity to get distorted I think throughout their time in college and and you know everything on the internet and whatnot but I think kids want to go where they want to go and they they've made a decision to go to that school and then you know I I get that coaching changes can can happen and I get that NIL money can get involved and there's a million different things but I, I think finding the right fit initially um can really help uh limit some of that stuff it certainly won't eliminate it, but it, it could help limit it. And I think guys will have a better understanding for like, yep, this is the right fit for me. This is the place where I can go to for two years or four years um, and graduate from and or move on from um, because those opportunities, you know, with the transfer portal and, you know, going in and redshirting for a year, playing your three and then being a grad transfer somewhere with the transfer portal is like an unbelievable option for some kids. Right. And I think, you know, uh, we can get off in the weeds on that, but that's a, you know, that's part of the, part of the benefit that is the transfer portal, you know, gives guys those opportunities who did develop for a year. And now they start to, to, you know, get their footing underneath them as a, as a sophomore or junior, and they have another place to play with another year of eligibility. Um, that could be part of the beauty of our, of our game. Right. Um you know, it, it because I still think there are freshmen that can come in and compete for jobs. There are junior college guys at, at the Division One level. They can come in and compete for jobs immediately. There are certainly junior college guys that we, you know, we want to come on board and be ready to play day one type of thing. Um, and then there are other guys that we know might take a year or two. 
Um, but but having them understand that on the front end, I, I think, is a big deal. And and the guys probably having to understand that as well, I think, is is you know imperative to their yeah. futures. And success. You bring up a, a ton of good points there. I, I the only thing I I um I just think I, I just would want to add is just as you said, you kind of got to know, you know, what's your ultimate goal in a sense? Like if it's to play in a professional baseball, which you guys have sent players to the, you know, get drafted and play in the major leagues and things like that. I mean, it's definitely, you want to have a track record, right? And so if you go somewhere and you don't get to play for a couple of years and then you put all this pressure on yourself to play really good as a junior, just one year, that's a lot different than having two, three years of, of at bats and playing time to be able to, to showcase to, two teams that like, man, like this, this, that wasn't a fluke, you know, like this guy really knows how to hit, he knows how to play. And so I just think that to your point as before, you got to kind of eventually at some point figure out what do, what's my goal? Like, what do I want to do here? Do I just want to play at the highest level of college baseball or am I trying to get to the major leagues? And so I think, you know, only the player can answer that question, but I think that's the only thing that I would, I would add to everything you said. I think everything else is spot on. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. I, yeah, it, 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 you know, there's a million different things and maybe that's something you can work on is, is coming up with a, uh, you know, preliminary checklist for high school athletes and, mm-hmm. and how they could um, start to devise a plan of how to attack their recruiting. It's a great um, idea. Yeah. I like that. Anything else you, uh, you'd want to add anything else you want to add to, to the, to the listeners about Campbell, about yourself, about anything, the floor, <laughs> the, the floor is yours. <laughs> Uh, about Campbell, man, I, I, I love working here. I love what I do each and every day, you know, um, coaching college baseball and working with, with the athletes that we have. Uh, I think it's a tremendous place to work. I think it's a bit tremendous place to play. This is not a sales pitch. If you have an opportunity to come out and watch the Camels, whether it's a, at home or on the road, uh, it's a front, it's a fun brand of baseball, man. It is, it's, it's probably a little bit different than a lot of things, things that you guys have seen regularly i would say it's not just stock baseball there's a lot of passion and energy similar to our practices um and i think that that's you know kind of the chip on most of our guys shoulders um so it's a it's a fun a fun brand a a fun culture to be a part of um i think it's as exciting a time as ever um to be a part of our program uh we're super excited for you know the 24 season coming up on, on us here quickly and um, can't wait to get it rolling. So if you got a chance to come see us play or come check out Jim Perry Stadium and the Camels in 2024, um, it should be a, it should be a fun year for us. So, awesome, Jordan. As always, appreciate you. Appreciate talking with you, and um, look forward to following you guys this year. Thank you for doing what you do, PJ. Thanks for having me on.